My name is Rick Renner, and I'm in the ancient city of Pergamum on the Acropolis. The city of Pergamum was really a unique place. It was very spiritually dark. All kinds of temples where sacrifices were being offered to the gods. This city was literally teeming with demon spirits in all kinds of dark, deep, mysterious religions. It's amazing that the gospel was able to penetrate this darkness, but if we'll preach the gospel, it can penetrate any environment. And Pergamum is a great example of that. And in the midst of this very oppressive environment where the church was viciously persecuted, the church survived and thrived. There was a thriving church here. And the church was putting up with a lot of trouble from their neighbors because all of their neighbors were pagan. All of their neighbors misunderstood Christians because the Christian faith was new. Pagans thought it was very strange and Christians were being persecuted. Great pressure was being put on them to compromise and there was a temptation to compromise in order to get along with their neighbors. In fact, there was a teaching called the Doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and the teaching said, well, what does it hurt to make a few compromises, to be more like your pagans, to go into pagan temples, or burn little incense to the gods, if it will purchase you some peace with your neighbors? Maybe you need to accommodate the people that are around you. And the believers here were tempted to compromise their faith in order to spare themselves trouble and to get along with their neighbors. And when they began to compromise, Jesus spoke to them in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16. And guess what he said? He said, repent. He commanded them to change, to stop making room for compromise, and to repent, to do the right thing in the presence of God, regardless of the price or the cost they had to pay. Repentance is a part of the Christian life. Then and now, Christ is still telling us to repent when we have an attitude or an action that is wrong. And we need to know what the Bible says about repentance because it is such a key New Testament word. It is for certain Christ will tell you to repent somewhere along the way. If he does, do you know what it means? You need to know. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Thank you for letting me come right into your home. As I told you in the introduction to the program today, today I'm going to talk to you about repentance, what it is, what it isn't, and how to do it, and we may get into the subject of divine judgment. Now, today preachers don't talk much about judgment, but when you study the New Testament, the New Testament talks very clearly about Christ's judgment of erring leaders who refuse to repent and get back in line. I advise you to stay with me all the way to the end of the program today because today I'm going to really touch those difficult verses and I believe the Spirit of God is going to speak to your heart. It's going to be powerful. But I want to remind you that I'm speaking to you from my series called Christ's Message to Pergamum. It's a 10-part series based on these programs and it's filled with all the videos and the photos, the Greek words, and it comes with a study guide that is amazing. When you get the study guide, you'll think this whole pack was worth it just to get the study guide because the study guide is loaded. You will love this. You can use it personally, you can share it with a friend, or you can use it in your Bible study group. Imagine 10 sessions to sit down and use for 10 weeks with a Bible study group. It's just a great idea. We're also offering you my book, which is called No Room for Compromise Christ's Message to Today's Church. I endorse this book fully. 
This book is not only full of revelation and information and insight, but it's just beautiful. It's full color, every page full color. Look at this. It is just gorgeous. It's filled with maps. It's filled with historical information, photos, artwork, photos that were taken on site in the seven churches, the seven cities, in the Roman province of Asia. It is just a magnificent book. And I know that if you get it, you'll be glad that you added this to your personal spiritual library. And you will use this book regularly as a reference. You'll never be sorry that you got this book. And I want to read to you just a little bit from page 262 because this has to do with what I'm going to teach today. The time for negotiating was finished. Jesus was finished begging spiritual leaders to get back in line. He had asked them, he had pleaded with them, and the time for negotiation was finished. And just as a powerful nation sends a pre-war declaration to its enemies calling on their surrender before they are crushed in battle, Christ was calling on errant leaders to surrender and to repent. If they chose to defy him, they would suffer the consequences. Wow, this is so powerful. Jesus was tired of their inclusive, compromising doctrines, and he would use whatever means were necessary to stop them in their tracks. If the erring leaders refused to hear what the Spirit was saying and repent, Jesus declared he would fight against them. Now, I know that's a difficult verse for some people, but that's exactly what the Bible says. He warned them that he was going to exhort his full authority to retake the church. They could repent and surrender, or they could be crushed. But either way, Christ was going to have his way in his church. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's jump right into the Word, Revelation chapter 2. And very quickly today, I want to cover a little bit about verse 14. In verse 14, we saw that Jesus had expressed displeasure with those in Pergamum who held to the doctrine of Balaam, which was a doctrine of compromise, and it was a doctrine of moral surrender that was weakening the church, causing the church to blend into the world, but it pulled the plug on the gospel, it pulled a plug on the blood of Jesus, it pulled a plug on the power of the Holy Spirit, it just generally sickened the church. And Jesus was disgusted with this. In fact, Jesus was so disgusted with this inclusive, compromising doctrine that Jesus says in Revelation 2.15, and this is where we're going to pick up today. So thou hast also there them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, in the last program, I covered the word Nicolaitan. If you didn't hear that, go back to the archives and look at the previous program where I deal with the meaning of the name Nicolaitan. But today I want to focus on that word hate because the word hate is really strong. When our boys were growing up, we refused to let them use the word hate in our home. If one of them said to the other, I hate you, Wow, there were serious repercussions because that's not a nice word to use. But that is the word which Christ himself now uses in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15. And Jesus does not say he hates Nicolaitans. He hates what they teach and he hates their actions. That's what the Bible tells us about the church of Ephesus and the church of Pergamum because they were in both. To one he said, I hate their deeds. To the other side, he said, I hate their doctrine. Now, what does the word hate mean? Well, the word hate is the Greek word missio. I'm going to read directly from my notes. It means to hate, to abhor, to find utterly repulsive. So when Jesus says, which thing I hate, he literally means I find them to be totally repulsive. 
He describes a deep-seated animosity, intense hatred, repugnance, something that is objectionable or causes one to feel disgust, repulsion, a deep-seated aversion, not just dislike, it is actual hatred. That's what this word hate means in Revelation chapter 2 in verse 15. It describes deep-seated animosity, antagonism, a strong aversion to something that is simply revolting. It is utter contempt, hostility, and intolerance for what is taking place. All of those words describe what Jesus felt. We know that because he uses the Greek word misio, which is translated hate. It means Christ was totally disgusted with what the Nicolaitans were promoting in the church. Now, I want to say again, Christ doesn't hate anybody. He didn't hate the Nicolaitans. He doesn't hate anybody. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. He even died for the Nicolaitans whom he condemned in this verse. He loved them. And you're going to find out today he pleaded with them to repent. Jesus is always giving people time to repent. When we will eventually come to Christ's message to Thyatira, you're going to see there was a woman there in that church whose name was Jezebel, who was also leading God's people astray. And Jesus specifically says, I have given her time to repent. Jesus always gives people opportunity to make things right. But the Nicolaitans were not listening. So Christ was going to come, and if they did not repent, he was going to surgically remove them from their influential positions inside the church. Now let me tell you very quickly again some points of modern Nicolaitanism. Now, I covered this in the last program. If you missed it, please go back because I cover it fully. But again, modern Nicolaitanism can be witnessed in the following four points. Number one, no emphasis on holy living and separation from the world. Nicolaitanism says blend in. Number two, no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. Rather than teach the Bible, they use it just as a reference for their motivational sermons or for principles about business. But the Bible really is not doctrine to them. It's just an instrument to use for illustrations. Number three, no emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical authority. They believe the Bible is just one voice among many. Take it or leave it. Don't take it too seriously. Just use it as a guide. Number four, no exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. They say there are many roads leading to heaven. We need to respect all religions, that everyone eventually is going to get to the same place. And of course, this destroys the message of the gospel. This is what modern Nicolaitanism espouses. Jesus hated it then. He hates it now. In the first century, the Nicolaitans were trying to be inclusive of everybody. And today that word inclusive is the big word in society again, and it's finding its way into the church. Jesus hated it then, and Jesus hates it now. That is what the Bible tells us. And in Revelation 2.16, Jesus says to those who are in error, he wasn't speaking to the whole church, but to those who were in error, he said, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. A lot of people today say Christians don't need to repent. Do Christians ever need to repent? Well, here Jesus said, repent. 
And in fact, when Jesus spoke to all seven of the churches, to five of them, he told them to repent. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he said it then, he's saying it now. If they needed to hear it then, we need to hear it now. Jesus said, repent. What does it mean, repent? The word repent does not mean to be sorry. It doesn't mean to feel regret or grief or guilt. That is not what the word repent means. Actually, the word repent is a very intellectual term. It's the Greek word metanoeo. I'm going to read to you from my notes. It describes a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior. A decision to completely change or turn around in the way that one is thinking, believing, or living. So repentance is not an emotion, it is a decision. That's good because it means you don't need to depend on your emotions to repent. You don't need to feel something to repent. You just need to say, okay, it's wrong, I'm going to change. It's a decision. It is a total transformation affecting every part of a person's life, both inside and outside, resulting in behavioral change. That is why in our church, we never talk about people that get saved. We always talk about people who came forward and made a decision because repentance is a decision to turn around. It is a decision to think differently. It is a decision to go in a different direction. Well, in light of that, when Jesus spoke to these erring leaders and told them to repent, he wasn't even telling them to feel bad about what they were doing. He was telling them to make a decision to do different, to change. He was calling on them to make a behavioral change in their actions and a doctrinal change in what they were teaching. He was telling them to repent. I'm calling on you to stop what you're doing and to go in a different direction. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between repentance and remorse because these are not the same thing. The word repent in Greek is the word metanoeo. We just saw that. But the word remorse is the Greek word metamelomai. Now, what is unfortunate is that this word remorse in the New Testament is translated as the word repent. But the word metanoeo, repent, and the word metamelomai, remorse, they don't even sound the same. These should have never been translated both as the word repent. But the example of it is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 through 5, where the Bible tells us about Judas Iscariot. It says, Then Judas, which had betrayed Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. Now it sounds like he repented, but look at the results of this particular kind of repenting. Repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Well, now wait a minute. Do most people commit suicide when they repent? Of course not. That's not the fruit of repentance. This is the Greek word metamelomai. It is not the Greek word metanoeo. The word metanoeo means to change the way you're thinking. This is the word metamelomai. It's a totally different word. And this particular word, repented, here in Matthew chapter 27, metamelomai, describes grief, guilt, regret, or remorse. Now, we've got a lot of material to cover today, but this is very important because I want you to understand the difference between repentance and remorse. One reason that a lot of people today are saying Christians don't have to repent 
is because they associate repentance with remorse. And we don't need to feel remorse. No, we don't. We've been forgiven. When we do something wrong, we don't have to live in regret and guilt for the rest of our life. That's not what repentance is. That's what remorse is. Don't confuse repentance and remorse. They're not the same thing. God calls you to repent. He never calls you into remorse. Now, what do I mean? Well, for example, the word metomelomai, really the Greek word remorse, describes an emotion that grips a person because of an act he's committed that he knows is wrong and because he has no plans to repent, to change, and to stop his sinful activities and try to rectify what he has done, he's gripped with a sense of remorse that produces no change in his life. Or, this word remorse, the Greek word metamelomai, describes the idea of the guilt the guilt that a person feels because he knows he's done wrong and will continue to do wrong and because he knows he has no plans to change his course of action. He feels ashamed about what he's doing but continues to do it anyway, which results in ongoing guilt. This guilt produces no change in a person's life or behavior. It's not repentance, it's remorse, it's guilt. Or the word metomelomai, can denote the regret that a person feels because he is caught doing something wrong. He isn't repentant for committing the sin. He's sorrowful because he got caught. Rather than be repentant, he is regretful that he got caught and now must pay the consequences. And chances are that if he had never been caught, he would have continued his activities. This kind of regret will never produce change in a person's life. I remember growing up in church and I repented. I came to Christ. I made a decision for the Lord when I was five years old and it was very authentic. But I remember as I grew up watching adults, especially when we were having revival meetings, once a year the same people would show up in church and we'd never see them again. But every year they came to the revival and they would walk the aisle and they would get on their knees and they would weep and they would cry and they would empty boxes of tissue at the front of the altar crying and crying. And I remember as a young boy looking at them thinking, wow, I didn't cry like that when I got saved. That's so sincere. But then growing up in church and watching how things happen, I noticed that many of those people who emptied boxes of tissue crying would walk out the door and never show up in church again until the next year at Revival when they would come forward to rededicate their life and they'd do the thing all over again. Finally, I understood they weren't repenting. They were just sorrowful. Metamelomai. They had remorse. They knew they were wrong. They even knew they weren't going to change. They weren't really saying, God, I want to change. They were really expressing, God, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. I'm going to continue to do wrong. Oh, God, please forgive me. I feel so bad. It wasn't repentance. Repentance is a decision. I'm going to do different. I hear what God says. You may not even like what God says. You know, God doesn't really care if you like what He says. He just expects you to get in alignment with Him. And that's what repentance is. It is a decision. Now, the very people who say they don't believe Christians need to repent are very free to tell people, hey, you need to change what you're doing. Hey, you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision to do different. It's just terminology. You're saying the same thing. That's what repentance is. It is a decision to be different. That's what it means. Now, 
Because the word metamelomai is used in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 to describe Judas Iscariot, we know that Judas did not really repent. He was just sorry for what he did. He was sorrowful. He knew that he was going to lose privilege. He would no longer be a part of Jesus' inner circle. He was just sorry for what he lost. He lost an opportunity. He lost a privilege. He was overcome with guilt, with regret. He was thinking more about himself than he really was about the need to repent. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Sometimes emotions really are real at a time of repentance. And we see an example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He had corrected them for their behavior. And listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, he uses this word sorry or a form of it three times. Sorry, sorrowful, and sorry. In all three instances, it is the Greek word lupeo, which means pain or grief. Pain or grief. Again, he mentions repentance. This is the word metanoeo, real repentance, a decision to change. And actually, my translation of 2 Corinthians 7-9 would be like this. I don't rejoice that I caused you to feel pain and grief. That's what it means, the Greek word lupeo. I don't rejoice that I caused you to feel pain and grief, but I do rejoice that my letter made you purpose in your heart to change. That's what the word repentance means. Let me read it to you again. I don't rejoice that I caused you to feel pain and grief, but I do rejoice that my letter made you purpose in your heart to change. But then, in the New King James Version, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9 goes on to say, For you were made sorry in a godly manner. What does that mean, in a godly manner? Well, let me give you an RIV translation of this verse. I don't rejoice that I caused you to feel pain and grief, but I rejoice that my letter made you want to change. The pain you felt was your response to God's dealings with you. And in fact, they were so deeply sorrow that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, they made a change. Listen to what it says. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. There was outward proof to show that genuine repentance had taken place. Real repentance produces indisputable transformation in a person's character. Now we're out of time and we're just getting started, but I think you can see how important this teaching is. And when we come back, this is where we're going to pick up in the next program, but I'll be back in just a moment and I'm going to pray for you. Explore the Bible and the first century church with Rick Renner's book, No Room for Compromise. In this masterful hardback Bible study, Rick transports you to the first century in the life of the early church, exploring the relevance of Jesus' end-time message to the church of Pergamum then, and how that end-time message is relevant today. 
On every page, Rick reveals the larger context of the book of Revelation and his appearance to the Apostle John, taking you on a journey through the first three centuries of Christian opposition within a pagan world. You'll be amazed to see how the early church thrived through the light, life, and power of Jesus Christ. This beautifully bound 400-page book can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography, added artwork, and historical illustrations that enhance the in-depth teaching. When you call or go online today, you can also get the 10-part teaching series, Christ's Message to the Church in Pergamum. As one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church in Pergamum was a light of faith in the pagan darkness. In this series, you'll see how Jesus' message of holding on to faith is just as relevant today as it was in the first century. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $20. Don't miss this special offer, No Room for Compromise, and Christ's message to the church in Pergamum. Call now or go to renner.org to order. My name is Joel Renner, coming to you right from Moscow, Russia. And I want to tell you about the certain outreaches of our ministry that we do here in Russia. You know, people need help, but more importantly, people need Jesus. And in these outreaches that we provide, people can have both. They can receive help and Jesus. For decades, we have been able to touch millions of lives with the gospel of Christ and the love of God. We've been privileged to do this through broadcasting Christian television programs all over the world, starting churches that are thriving to this day, visiting orphanages with gifts for children and the workers, visiting prisons to minister hope in God's Word, visiting mental institutions to share the freedom that is found in Christ, equipping graduates of our Bible seminary so they can go out and help others, reaching thousands through our Internet Good News Church with Bible teaching and spiritual care. Because of you, we are able to take the gospel of Christ both to our nearby world and to the ends of the earth. Please call or go to renner.org to make a financial donation so that through your giving, we can continue to make this huge difference in people's lives. What a pleasure to open the Bible with you today. We've been looking really intensely at the difference between repentance and remorse. In this day and age, when people are saying that Christians don't even need to repent, well, first of all, that's wrong. That is contrary to the teachings of the Bible. I don't know how you can read the Bible and say Christians don't need to repent. The problem is people are confused about what is repentance. Many of them grew up in traditional churches where they saw people weeping and wailing and carrying on. And now as adults, they say, I don't want to do that. So they're just dismissing repentance. They're confusing repentance with remorse. They are not the same thing. God never in Scripture calls us to be guiltful or regretful or remorseful. Those are dead emotions. They do not lead to life. But God does tell us to repent. And that's what we've seen today in Revelation chapter 2, verse 16. Jesus spoke to erring leaders. He spoke to the church that was in error. And he said, I'm calling you to repent, which just basically means, hey, it's time for you to make a decision to change and to do different. Maybe that's God. God is speaking to you today. Maybe God's calling on you to make some kind of a change in your life. If that's what you hear the Spirit saying, then embrace it and do it. But remember, I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Pergamum, 10 
part series based on these programs, and I'm also offering my book called No Room for Compromise. Let me quickly pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the powerful Word of God that has the ability to transform our lives. Help us to get into alignment with it so it can release its power in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. Let the word of God release its power in you today, and I'll see you in the next program. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 